welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. What's up, people? Welcome to Happy Catholic Saturday Stuff You morning. Should Know. Well, you don't, it's probably not your Saturday morning. Today's the feast of Blessed Chiara Bodano, I was told. Oh, cool. But she's obviously not in the liturgical calendar, but we can still ask for her intercession. There you go. She played tennis. You still owe me oh, a tennis match. Is that right? Tennis player. You know what? I moved on from you playing with you. Apparently. You, I mean, didn't you win like the NAC Open or whatever? <laughs> I did, actually. No. You know what? I tied for first place. We never played the championship game. Yeah, so but you, I, you I tied for through. second place then. You I don't know who won through. first place. No, you stay first place until you lose first place. Um, I walked through so many guys that I consider myself the champ. All right. Take well, that, James Platania. You remember that long, James Platania? long, long game that we played? <laughs> James Platania? Well, what about the other guy who tied you for first, who you never played? Um, he purportedly... What was that guy's name? Man, it's, <laughs> it's been a long time, but um, he had played at Harvard. Wow. So That's where James Blake went. I don't know that I would have had anything of a chance. <laughs> so I was ha- kind of happy to have never finished that game. I don't. Th- I don't think I avoided him because I. I mean, I was playing in the tournament. I. But he avoided it. you. But he maybe got busy or something, and we couldn't organize that last game. Yeah, it was probably mutual, but it was a little bit uh, convenient on this side, so I can still have half a trophy. Have a trophy. Well, I will take that trophy from you next time we play tennis. What if you had, can you, you, you can't drink out of a half a trophy cup. Is it a cup that you get for tennis? It depends on the tournament, like but a, yeah, it's usually. Something like a glass. I think it's a cup. Thing that you put on your desk. I don't know. The, the most coveted trophy in history is the Stanley Cup. It's now, the hardest trophy to win. Really? The Wibble, Wibbledon. Wimbledon. What about it? It's That's the, not the most coveted the most trophy coveted in history. Trophy. Yeah. Oh, it's been it's been coveted for a very long time, a lot longer. By I'd you? say the gold medal. The gold medal. You know, Olympic gold medal. I don't know. I, I, Stanley Cup's the hardest trophy. What is it? Win. A wreath for the Kentucky Derby. That's pretty cool. Or a bottle of milk for the NASCAR. <laughs> I don't know. What did they get? I need to start following Dude, sports. This is fun. <laughs> I like this, man. Fill your trophy case. Fill your trophy case. Maybe pour some coffee in it, drink some Long coffee. Is, uh, Why are we podcasting at 8 in the morning, by the way? Well, because our lives are busy. And I don't know. I feel it, too, man. I stayed up late. We were celebrating the birthday of Father Jason Frederick Awunch. Oh, yeah, that's right. Happy birthday. He's my, to the ground. He's my housemate, and that dude is a workhorse. He Have is. you ever heard of a workhorse? Like, the dude is very happy and content to just work 16 hours a day, mm-hmm. sleep six hours, and no, uh, work 13 hours a day, sleep six hours, and then bike for six hours. <laughs> and then he makes his own bulletins. <laughs> I have to remind him to eat lunch. Yeah, that guy, I, I'm convinced the only reason why he's skinny is not because he has a good metabolism, it's because he never eats. Yeah. He has like a cliff bar for breakfast, lunch, and then he'll have like a piece of chicken for dinner. That's it. Yeah. He's, yeah. He'll do, what are those, energy bars? He yeah, likes power bars, bars. Yeah, in cliff the bars or whatever they or are. Or one of those, you know, there's snacks for when you're exercising. Uh-huh. Like a honeycomb thing. Oh, yeah, yeah the waffle, the stroopwaffles. Sometimes he'll just eat that. <laughs> Jeez Louise. 
Yeah, <laughs> he's ridiculous. That's funny. Yeah, happy birthday to him. And to his twin brother, Mark. Dr. Mark Wunsch, Christendom College. Christendom College. That's right. They're, they're identical twins, aren't they? Yep. But And it's pretty identical. You could confuse them. Well, I've never met Mark, so I'm sure I would confuse them. But the funny thing is, every time I ask Jason this, he goes, well, we used to be identical, but we're not anymore. I'm like, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. You guys probably have just look a little different now, but you're still identical twins. No, they swapped genes or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think his brother put on some weight and Jason shrunk to a Skeletor. He is a Skeletor. All that biking. He's a strong Skeletor. Jay... You're awesome in my book. We also had another um, birthday, eh, kind of like that, with the anniversary, the feast solemnity of the dedication of the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Denver, Colorado on 1530 Logan. Yeah, but what day? My cathedral, that was on Thursday. Was it really? Yeah, man. Aren't I supposed to pray the bravery for the dedication of a cathedral? And celebrate your mass as a Well, I did not do that. As a feast? Is that in the Ordo? It should be in the Ordo. Yeah, it would. Well, I totally messed that up. Sorry, Archbishop. Thanks a lot. Thanks for praying for my church, buddy. (laughs) And for your mother church or whatever. I don't know exactly what they call that, but... Holy Mother Church. Yep, that was... So you had a week of parties. And then we had... Well, I don't know that I celebrated that except to celebrate the mass which was beautiful and big and then we had a celebration of the little sisters of the poor that's right on tuesday and thank they, you for they your they service to the diocese shout out to the little sisters of the poor shout out sister joseph marie she was my uh barber for a while wow <laughs> was she the one who uh let you grow your rat tail out because I don't yeah, approve of that. Yeah, she probably helped with that. She helped with it. You know, people who are older, like a different generation, she's not like old, but um, when you tell them something, they just presume that it's a generational thing. Hmm. So she might think it's weird, but she doesn't know like, no, Father Mike, you, you can't do that. That's dumb. What's worse, Father Mike's rat tail or Father Nathan's uh, mullet? I got to get something to make fun of you for. You're, you're like so cool. <laughs> I never said that. I'm going to find it. I actually thought the rat tail was Dumb a good idea. Dumb sense of humor. I kind of want to grow out a rat tail so that I can, we can make some money at the gala again. You got like 10 grand for that. No. Well, people certainly didn't want the the lock of hair. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to see it get cut off. They wanted to get it, see, see it get cut off. And my, I think my favorite thing was that there were kindergartners uh-huh. who were telling their parents they wanted a rat tail. No way. Like Father Mike. That's awesome. And some of them, some of those cool parents let their kids grow out that rat tail. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. So when you were celebrating Father Jason's birthday, mm-hmm. we had an office uh, party with Halloween party. So there we go. All Hallow's Eve? Well, I mean, in theory, yeah, but that's not, it, was, it didn't fall on the proper day. But in theory, it was all Hallow's Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was fun. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of dressing up and acting like someone you're not but we made, we made do with it so <laughs> you're not a thespian i'm definitely not a i thespian. guess it's not really it's not really theater but even that like i literally walked in and uh you know people are showing up and there's uh people are having their different costumes wearing their different costumes and it's just like it's almost like hard to look at people because i'm like wait who are you and what are you supposed to be like it's just like i don't know it, it's like a whole you know shift in your mind that you have to make paradigm shift Paradigm shift. 
I don't think you'd be good at one of those role-playing games or what, what do they call them? LARP? LARPing? LARPing. <laughs> Live action role-playing. <laughs> sounds like Larkin. One of the worst LARPing. memories is uh, I was walking through Wash Park. Um, I was on a run, actually. I was running around Wash Park, and there's like this... Now, this was my judgment. I could be completely wrong here, but there were like these four people LARPing, and I don't know what they were doing, but it looked like this guy had to be like 55, and he was with like... Four, three girls who had to all be like 15 and it just like gave me the wrong impression of larping so if you like larping Weird. larping maybe I, it was a dad and his girls it could be could be but he was like yelling lightning strike lightning strike boom boom and i was like okay i'm just gonna keep running by here maybe yeah yeah you wonder maybe it was actually you know like a serious uh <laughs> Harry Potter scene that they they warped from one world to the, to this this world and they were in the middle of a real battle. It's possible. The <laughs> I see I do drive around Denver near the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Denver, Colorado on yes. 1530 Logan Street. Yes, been there. Um there's events and there's more and more of these cosplay events going on. So mm-hmm. I was driving maybe three weeks ago, I guess. And there, I think there was like an Alice in Wonderland thing. Everybody's kind of looking like characters. You know those cards for, with the Queen of Hearts? Mm-hmm. You know, they got cards on, their, on the front and on the back. And there's like the Cheshire Cat and all these characters. You're no, not an Alice. I don't know. Okay, dude. I've never seen Alice in Wonderland. Really? Sorry. You've got this weird kind of collection <laughs> of things you have okay. and you haven't seen. You're right. You're right. It's like Air Bud and, <laughs> and horror films or something. That I haven't seen or have seen? That you have seen. I have seen Air Bud. You haven't seen anything normal like the rest of us. <laughs> like the rest of us. Anyway. Um, you're right. I do have a list of movies I need to watch, but... Uh, like Father Brian the other night made us watch uh, me, Father Vitold and Father Brian. He's just like, wait, you guys have never seen The Three Amigos? We have to watch that right now. <laughs> so then we watched The Three Amigos. I'm like, I mean, it was okay. But he was just like hyping it up. Like, this is the best movie of, of the century. He's nostalgic. He's very nostalgic. He's nostalgic. So he can still enjoy the same way movies that are kind of passe and not <laughs> awesome in the first place. It's, I would say like you know, Three Musketeers, maybe... Oh, this is the three amigos. Oh, the, yeah, the three amigos. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the three uh, amigos. I mean, it's yeah, a real corny humor. It is, and ga- it's like gaffs, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, if you catch me in the right time, I think I would laugh. Yeah, you're just too cool. You're too cool. See, I think I'm cool, but then like I go home and binge watch. What's like, like a YouTube very all night? funny thing that you? like and you can and you can listen to see funny yeah funny i'm not a funny like person like a laugh out loud <laughs> you know chortle chuckle one of my favorite movies that i like literally laughed the whole time in the theater was the lego movie <laughs> yeah come on i saw everything that when i was awesome. in everything is awesome i saw that when i was in college seminary in um minnesota with some guys and uh I was supposed to travel. We were supposed to travel that weekend. And then this huge snowstorm came into Minnesota and we weren't able to leave. And so we just kind of hung out for the weekend, which was great. But yeah, it was uh, like the first month that the Lego movie was out. And, you know, a bunch of 18 year olds, 20 year olds going to watch a movie with a bunch of six year olds. 
uh, in the movie theater. But I, it, it like was cosplay. so funny. Sounds like cosplay. You're right. I was LARPing. We dressed up and everything. <laughs> no, don't. Just like kidding. Like Legos. Uh, but it was so funny. And there's a lot of jokes in there that, like, I don't think six-year-olds would get. Like, it had to do with, like, history and some like inside jokes about different things and i don't know it's been so long since i've seen it can't remember what those precisely are i think shrek was the first one to do that Mm. i think it's genius but it was kind of like let's have adult jokes that are over the heads of the kids and it'll be appreciated by the adults yeah they got parties will like watch it it with the kids as opposed to like daniel tiger which only the kids like You know what what the weird one was? when? Well, they're just kind of weird. Like, why do we teach kids the the real weird stuff? Like Barney, this purple dinosaur, (laughs) or the Teletubbies. You remember those things? I do. That just kind of bop around. And they're kind of scary. Like, what does this have to do with real life? You give the kids the impression, this is what led to the LARPing. (laughs) You raise the kids. Probably. The thinking the world is full of blue, 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 blue. purple dinosaurs. <laughs> and I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm too hard on this stuff and cynical, but it does seem weird, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any other younger siblings, no nieces or nephews yet. So I haven't watched too many of these kids shows. Like I didn't really grow up on Barney. I did a little bit, but my brother, since he's older, he was watching different shows like Chips. <laughs> Do you remember Chips? <laughs> and so That's I would just kind of watch with him. Significantly older if he's... How much older is he? He's only two years older. But the thing is, really? he would so sneak you're down. Like, you're like six and he's eight and you're watching chips. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> he would literally sneak down at 5 a.m. and watch this show called Chips. It was about like cops. And <laughs> and my mom like freaked out. She's just like, wait, what are you watching? And so my mom one day woke up at 5 a.m. Because it came on like at 5 every morning uh, to see what my brother was watching. And she was just like, wow, this is actually a really wholesome show. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Oh. I, I can't remember. What it was about, but yeah, there was like cops in it, and there was some. It was kind of humorous and, and funny, but yeah, it was it was a it wasn't a super serious show. But I don't remember. I think I saw like a movie of Chips, but I don't. I don't know. Like my impression was, it's kind of adult humor, not like Could in the be. not yeah, in like remember. the racy way, mm-hmm. but just in the sophisticated way. Like kids like that gaff stuff, like the sure. three. Amigos. My brother was always pretty sophisticated, though. That was like my brother. He would like, I think he would watch the um, Are You Being Served? It was like this British comedy. Mm-hmm. But it's real dry humor and sarcastic. And I just had no idea. Yeah. As a kid or even as an adult, I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I get it. Yeah. Like, good for you guys. But I might be lost on the. Might be lost. As much as I love comedy, I'm always, uh, I just love action. Any action movie, I'm there. Just some good cars and, you know, guns. Hey, you on need. the plane, you know, from Rome, uh-huh. I watched uh, Fast and the Furious 9. F9. It was awesome, dude. I love the Fast and the Furious. It was awesome. I hope you, no one remembers that, but. What? That I love the Fast and Furious. Yeah, there's, the no, there's no shame in that, brother. <laughs> there's a lot of racing in no there. No shame in that. Yeah. I They're great it. flicks. If you like racing, if you like racing, if you like cars, if you like some good explosions, Nas, some Nas. <laughs> All right. Life on Nas. I love how people are. Some people love the banter. I would say most people love the banter. And then there's a handful of people who are a little bit more vocal who hate the banter. Yeah. So anyways, I, I mean, like, well, yeah, we, it's not just you're too self-conscious. 
probably can't think about who's <laughs> who's liking and disliking things. My point was we should probably transition to the topic now. Okay. Yeah, if you want to. Or we could talk about NOS. <laughs> that would be awesome in it's the Saturday morning. We should put some NOS in your car. But we could talk about NOS anytime, too. All right. Maybe maybe another time. Dude, mine already... Mine says turbo on it, <laughs> but it, it doesn't feel like a turbo. Well, turbo just what means... What does that it, mean? So it's either uh, supercharged or turbocharged, and turbo typically means it just takes... Uh, atmospheric pressure and kind of pressurizes your engine better, which means it will work better at altitude. So like if you're at floor, if you're at uh, sea level and like in Florida, your car is going to work the same way there as it does at 10,000 feet up in Georgetown or whatever. And the reason why is because uh, in Georgetown, the turbo is going to um, take atmospheric pressure and, and try to increase it. That way when the I don't know how this all works. Someone could probably write in and tell us all this, but when it, um, uh, like the, the air intake or something like that, you have to have a certain amount of, uh, PSI or, um, whatever it is. And so it just takes the air, the, uh, the air and then makes it to be 14.1 PSI, which is atmospheric pressure so that, yeah, your car works the same at, you know, 10,000 feet. But as it's it does an efficiency thing. Um, or it probably just has the same kind of output strength. Exactly, output strength, which I would say is efficiency. But I don't, I mean, you don't get as good as gas mileage, would be my guess, because you're trying to inject Dude, more fuel through the engine. That's lame. I thought it was like a Nas thing. Not that you could like turn, like push the button, mm-hmm. but just that the car is ready for anything. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> the not word, quite. The word turbo meant something. So, turbo, that's my understanding of turbo. And then a supercharger actually increases past atmospheric pressure. So, not just 14 point one PSI, whatever atmospheric pressure is, but it can go up to like 20 PSI for atmospheric mm. pressure, which means like you're actually increasing the in, inside your engine so tight that like your engine can actually pop if you do that incorrectly. Wow. Because you're forcing more air through the dude, engine than, than there's there. you are surprising me with your nerd knowledge. Nerd dude, alert. Dude, I love cars. I, okay. Fast so. and furious. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's cool. I wanted man. to get a turbo on my car, but... They're a little too expensive, and I'm trying to live poverty. I would like to. You, know, we can rebuild a car someday. That'd be awesome. You and I, when we're with Eric Gilba, signed together with Eric Gilba, touche. The well, well, we'll let the because you want to move on, and I think you're probably right. The <laughs> uh, I'll let the studio audience, um, the listener land, uh, write in and tell me how. This was the great kind of curiosity of yesterday, the great mystery of the universe, was how can coolant also be antifreeze at the same time? That I don't know. You know? Doesn't that make sense to you, the, tr- the trouble there? No. Really? <laughs> Wait, like, how can coolant? Why is it that the same liquid uh-huh. will warm up your car so that it doesn't freeze, antifreeze? Uh-huh. But the same liquid is going to cool down your engine so it doesn't overheat. Yeah. Wouldn't you think you need two different? That all I don't right, know. All right, all right, right. That's that's a punt. That I don't know. But I will say, like, the way those work is typically with, like, salts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And salt, when you add salt to something, it freezes at different temperatures. So, like, what they put on the road, right, is magnesium chloride, which freezes at a much lower temperature than 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So, so it's electric. Just mm-hmm. put in my Gatorade. Gatorade. <laughs> Gatorade. Gatorade. All right. All right. You got, so wait. So I said we want to live poverty, right? So today's today's topic, I want to talk to you about tithing. 
One, because I was doing a lot of reading about it recently because Father Brian asked me to preach on it, which I found hard, but I actually found it really good for me to kind of study this and to kind of look at this and pray with it. And I actually really found it fascinating. Like, what is what is the theology of tithing? Why tithe? What's our attachment to money like? So <clears throat> I don't know if I really have a good way to, to approach this, but um, maybe just ask you, Father Mike, because you're the... You're the biblical expert. Oh boy, I kind of wondered is <laughs> is this coming? What's what's the tithe? What's the tithe in the Old Testament? Tithe in the Old Testament is well, like you said, okay, the Hebrew concept is you give 10% of whatever your income is. At the time it's, it's more like a harvest. Right. But they had they also <clears throat> sold services and everything, but 10%, the first 10% that you receive of your stuff and you give it to God and to the poor, maybe the same thing at the same time. The, the, the ancient temples used to be like the town bank. So in part, you're giving it to the temple. In part, you're giving I mean, you would designate, but they would also provide for the poor. The poor would receive from the, um, the kind of central hub, which was the, the temple in town. So... Yeah, you give ten percent. I don't. It's not like an as a, a, a point of gift, but just as kind of a way of life. Mm-hmm. And it was a way of, I think, kind of humbling people and keeping them from yeah. giving them this idea of what I have has been given to me and been given to me to do things that are some more noble than others in one being taking care of people and um and taking care of like promoting the religion or sustaining like taking care of our religious heritage buildings people all this and the levites right the levitical priesthood yeah they didn't have a land so they They don't have land yeah that's yeah that's important to the old testament is that they have to be taken care of you have 12 tribes and then one of them doesn't get an inheritance, meaning they don't have the land to farm, and they have to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And that's the priests, the, the Levites, and then they're they are given cities, but they still don't have their their responsibility is to take care of things in the temple, and they're given the meats. <laughs> you know, I I laugh because as a priest. I'm like, what if people just gave me the meats? <laughs> like, I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to bring me... Here's a cow. Us, especially the game, mm-hmm. game meats. Sometimes people do give us uh, steaks or something. That doesn't happen often, I guess, but I'll take it. Yeah, it depends where you are. If you're out in Ray, Colorado, you'll get a lot of steak. How did I, I get think. on the meats? Because of the, the tithe. The sweet meats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the tithe, yeah, I, I don't know. I've yep. said some things about it. Is that... Yeah, no, no, that's right. Kind of getting some of the images out there and the language. Yeah, I found it interesting because, right, tithe, tithe means 10%, right? It's a tenth, tenth of your portion. And the, the Israelites were asked, uh, not just asked, but commanded, it was a part of their law, to tithe 10%. So the first part of that is, yeah, 10% of their annual income of some sort. Obviously, income looked different because a lot of it was like an exchange of goods as opposed to like, here's 20 here's a piece of paper that says 20 on it, right? It, they just didn't have monetary, um, <clears throat> whatever you call it, tender or tinder, whatever that stuff is called. <laughs> so uh, in the same way that we do today. So they would 
tithe 10% of their income and that would help the, the Levites and whatnot. But I found it interesting because there's different kind of tithes because then there's the festival tithe, which was the 10% tithe uh, towards the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they'd all come to Jerusalem and they would offer that 10%, which usually had to do with uh, like meat sacrifices and animals. And then the Levite, the Levitical priests would sacrifice them. The Levites would take some of that for themselves and their families. And then the person who offered that would also have to eat the rest of the sacrifice. Um, but they would do it together in order to right, be a part of this great festival, this great feast. Um, and then the last one was the charity tithe. So do I you have to take the goats from your flock? Did you? I mean, you have to take the best goat? That was controversial. Was it? Yeah. I mean, you have to take one of your goats, and you're kind of stingy if you take the runt, Mm -hmm. but do you have to give the prize goat, Um, or do you just look like you're showing off when you get to the temple with that prize (laughs) goat, and people are like, dang, that's a good goat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, first fruits is a different argument. What are first fruits? First fruits? Mm-hmm. The theology of the first fruits. I don't know what you're <laughs> asking for, I guess. Uh, right. So th- when I was reading <clears throat> this book, God and Money, uh, it was talking about how like, there's the theology of the tithe, but then there's also the theology of the first fruits. First fruits specifically with Cain and Abel, uh, right? So Cain and Abel both give a sacrifice to the Lord, but one gives of their best, right? The first, which would be Abel, Abel the just, as we say in right, the Roman canon, Eucharistic prayer one, because he gave out of his, um, right, out of his need in a sense, like he just gave so generously to God, it was his first fruits. And oftentimes, like when we give, it's like, okay, I need to pay this, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. And then whatever's left over, this, you know, 1% here, then I'll give it to God, or then I'll give it to the church, or then I'll give it to the poor. But it's really the opposite. Like we give first and foremost to those in need, and then what's left over is actually should be for ourselves. So that's kind of the theology of first fruits from what I was reading. Do you think why why do you think they picked ten percent? Yeah. Like what it seems like small enough that people can afford it, but enough that it's like eh, Yeah. You know. Why don't you ask me for like when I was a ki- a kid, you get some change or they give you a dollar. Mm-hmm. You know? I think I don't know. I don't want to throw my parents under the bus. I can't remember when. They yeah. were pretty good at tithing. I remember them writing a check, and we would like... I remember just a couple of times where I said, um, I don't get my fruit by the foot every time. Mm-hmm. And we kind of budget or something. So I get fruit by the foot once in a while, but I want it all the time. So I was like, why are we writing that check? Yeah. Why don't you just kind of shrink that check a few ducats? And I give my fruit by the foot. Yeah. And as a kid, I didn't quite. Not to say, I mean, we always bought cans at the store to put in the barrels for the poor. Yeah. And I definitely respect it, you know, now. But yeah. I just wonder about the, yeah, the 10. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the command of God. I don't know if there is necessarily a reason behind it. But to me, just off the cuff, it seems like it's it's enough that it hurts but it's not too much that it's impossible to survive, right? Yeah. Um, and we should give to where it hurts. Otherwise, we're just kind of, right, we're all called to live a certain poverty, chastity, obedience. And if we're called to live a certain poverty, like it should hurt a little bit. So 
maybe I don't go to Starbucks, you know, five days a week. Maybe I just go one day a week. And those other four days, you know, I, I you know, f- $5 each day, maybe I save that $20 to give to the poor in some way. Uh, it should hurt. It should. We should feel it. Yeah. In a certain but way. But I also think like it's low in part because um, it's affordable for everybody. Mm. You know, it's always proportional. So you, the, the poor will be giving less than the rich. Sure. But you don't want to break the back of the poor. Because mm. for the rich, it's like, well, oh, this is kind of hard scratches. Right. And then the poor are like, I can't pay my, you know, rent or something. Right. And I'm supposed to be giving mm-hmm. the first cut to the... To me, that's know? what's really interesting, too, is like... Uh, so 10% is the law in the Old Testament, but what does that mean f- for the poor? Because it seems like the poor won't be able to afford that, you know? So, yeah, to get back to this, so okay. it's, it's, yeah, the, the, f- it's the annual tithe, the, the, first fruit. the festival tithe, so 10% of uh, going to the Feast of Tabernacles every year. That's on top of the annual? That's on top of the okay. annual tithe. And then there's one more called the charity tithe, um, Deuteronomy 14, uh, 10% tithe offered in the third and sixth year of the Israelites' seven-year society life, right? So every seven years, it would reset. And then specifically the Jubilee year, the 50th year, it would really reset. And then everyone was kind of redo, uh, do back to them their kind of land portion. Um, and it would reset everything. So even in the, <clears throat> excuse me, even in the law for the Israelites, they had that opportunity to reset that maybe if you were poor, uh, you would be able to um be able to be rich, you know, or at least be able to be equal with everyone else, kind of living in that middle class. Uh, but the charity tithe, I think that's part of the reason why in different parts of the law, it says, don't harvest the corners of your field. Oh, yeah. Leave right. that for the poor, the widow, the orphan, uh, for those who can't afford it. So, like, but are so the that poor. Ca- that counts as the tithe? That's part of the charity tithe. Um, every third year and sixth year. Uh, 10% was offered to support foreigners, orphans, and widows, as well as to provide additional resources to the Levites. Um, now, the question... Like, yeah, so the... Sorry, I cut you off with the... Don't cut the corners of your field. You can go up to the to the plants mm-hmm. and just pick the fruits or you know harvest the grains or whatever it is. So the idea being, if you kind of skimp the corners... You're leaving it for other people who, ne- who need to go pick it. Yeah, who pick it of their own accord. They kind of know, yeah, who they are. And <clears throat> right, that's very interesting. It sounds very like a very humbling kind of action mm-hmm. of going to show yourself in public to pick the. That's a good point. Pick the corners. I yeah. wonder why Jesus didn't use that in his, you know, teaching. It yeah. seems like a real cool. Anyway, he does yeah, a lot maybe. with like weeds and wheat and stuff like that. Farming. Right. Maybe that's a good time to jump then to Christ and the new law. Well, I guess, okay, I shouldn't say he doesn't use it. The priests or the disciples are going through the field and they pluck pluck the grains on them. Mm -hmm. That's 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 probably what they're doing. Yeah, could be. They were poor. (laughs) They were poor. um, But yeah, maybe a good time to jump because one of the questions that really is asked out of this is, are we still obliged to a tithe, specifically a 10%? Okay. So obviously Christ commands us to give, but are we obliged? Are we commanded by God? Should we still be giving 10% to the poor or to, to the church, the poor, to God? Um, I think that becomes the next question. And that's what this book that I was reading addresses, mm-hmm. God and Money. Uh, should we should we give tithe? Yeah. What, what about, do you think? Well, do you have any quick thoughts? One, okay, so 
the question becomes, we don't read the Bible in a literal way where like every law that's in the Old Testament has to be lived exactly like that. I mean, right. God revises that with Jesus interpreting the law in certain ways and then, you know, abrogating things like circumcision or kosher laws and that allows you to ask that question, mm. you know, do we have to do we have to tie this is an Old Testament practice, whatever. I would I I'm curious always about history and I would wonder what the tradition of the church is in talking about a tithe. Um I have I tithe and it's a it's a practice that I really love and have come to love that there's always something I'm giving. I think it's like one of the the best things to do. It makes people happy. It makes me happy yeah. to be able to give to people and it just changes my perspective. It, and it gives, yeah, it's just something cool to be able to do regularly. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the, the charities and the, that I help. Um, so I, I would advise people to do it because it's like just one of the privileges of get, having income, working hard, mm-hmm. you know. It's not just like, okay. Yeah, it's to be able to give gifts is like kind of ennobling and uh, dignifying and so I think psychologically it's healthy it's helpful it obviously does good for other people like when I sponsor the little sister of the poor they're taking they're taking care of old people that I can't take care of mm-hmm. and I love that and I'm very grateful for that so I'm happy to help them um, yeah so I think I mean it's a good practice but I kind of don't have good perspective because it's sure I yeah. haven't. It's been a long, long time since I haven't done it. Tithe, yeah. And it's become so. So I think what I'm getting at though is, is, um, is it an obligation to tithe in that ten percent? Now, what's 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 clear in the New Testament, obviously, is that Jesus is always saying things like give. Oh, I um, see what you're saying. So, are we bound by the law per se? No, we're not bound by the law. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law, though, not to abolish it, and so. Uh, there's certain practices of the law that we should. So my personal opinion is like we should strive towards 10%. But uh, why not more? Why not more? So that that's why where don't you start. That's where I want to get to. Okay. Right. So, but uh, going back to like the history of it, um, specifically in the early church. So this is history after Christ. So uh, first century to present day. There's no conclusive thought from um, saints, from doctors, from people in the church who say. 10% is mandatory. There's there's really a lot of ambiguity of like what that means. But one of the consistent thoughts, and this isn't consistent ap- across the board, just to note that, but one of the consistent thoughts is since everything belongs to God, you should actually give more than 10% in a certain sense. Uh, give back to God what is his, right? And this is the, the parable of the... Um, rich man who goes away sad, uh, right? Because he, he's asked, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, obey the commandments. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I do obey the commandments. What must I do more? And Jesus says, yes, you do obey the commandments, but you're still lacking one thing. Go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. And then he says, I can't do that. And he walks away sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus takes what's old and increases it in a sense. Um, so like <clears throat> origin has this line, 
where he says Christians should give far more abundantly than the scribes and Pharisees. And he's saying that as he's commenting on Matthew, uh, Matthew 23 about how the Pharisees and the scribes pay um, their tithes, uh, but they don't, they're missing what's lacking in the, or what they're missing what's uh, most important in the law, which is uh, mercy and love. Uh, but yet they pay their tithes and origins point is just like, okay, great, pay your tithes. But actually we should be expected. Christians should give even more than what the scribes and Pharisees mm. give, uh, give everything back to God. And, um, Cyprian of Carthage, he says, now thus shall your righteousness abound more than their tithes and first fruits and part offerings. When you shall do as it is written, sell all thou hast and give to the poor. So again, this idea of giving more than 10%. And this is just a couple of uh, examples from the early church fathers. Uh, there's more throughout um, this book, but it, it's just like this. Are we bound to the law in a legalistic sense or has Christ come to set us free from that? But then Christ's mantra is always generosity. Be more generous, mm-hmm. be more generous. Um, and so the hope of this that I kind of want to, that I've been praying with that's really been striking to me is, okay, I'm not bound to the 10% but I'm bound to give everything to God. Mm. But because, especially as Americans, we like structures, we like uh, principles, we like laws in a certain sense, mm-hmm. uh, 10% I think is the goal to strive for. Yet, I think if you can, you should give more than that. As a minimum, you make it say, you say strive as if like, you know, try to get from two to mm-hmm. five. Yeah, I think, I think as a minimum, yes, but I recognize not everyone can do that. Okay. Uh, because some people really are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And so I think... But I have much more sympathy for that than... A lot of people I hear... Um, I don't hear a lot of the poor people complaining about this, to be honest. And I think the people with the best reasons are... Like my my sister, one of my sisters was asking, like, do we have to tithe? Are we obliged to tithe? We're trying to pay off our student loans. Mm-hmm. And if we can pay off our student loans, we have more to give. Right. And we're not wasting it, giving it to the bank. Right. We don't want to tithe to the bank because of interest. We want to save up and then we can, you know, and they have every intention of tithing down the road. But I told them, I think it's good to just do it. Do it when you, you know, today, start right. today or whatever. And I don't, I couldn't exactly explain that entirely, but I thought, you're going to be you're going to be happier you're going to feel like you know you're fulfilling what the invitation that Jesus makes to love others and to see everything in your life as it means to do that including money um y- there's going to be a sacrifice like you're going to be detached from that obsession with having to pay off that stuff and just right. the money and so I think it's good. Are you obliged? Like you said, I don't. I don't know that you are, but it's. Um, I think it'll be healthy, satisfying, and certainly helpful. Mm. And so there's that, and I understand that concern. But people can get really worked up about that. I have to save for my kids' college. I have totally. to save for this uh, retirement fund. I have to save for. There's lots of things that feel like you're going to be more financially free if you just look ahead and yeah. use the money that way. So there's that. But then there's also people, I think, who just don't budget for it. True. And if you don't yeah. budget for it, then you feel like, you know, like you are going from paycheck to paycheck and you're just not planning. Sure. You just spend everything, yeah. you know? And 
if you if you're not organized, then it feels like more heavy or inconvenient or right. you're just caught off guard, don't think of it. <clears throat> yeah, I think sometimes what we can do is we get so focused on just checking the boxes, right? So, okay, so in the law, it's like, okay, yeah, I go to mass every Sunday. Okay, yeah, I pay my tithes. Okay, yeah, I do this. But I think what's key is to say, yeah, 10% is that goal, I think, to strive for because it hurts enough where it actually makes us think about money and the decisions we're making and, like you said, planning for it. But at the end of the day, God wants so more, much more from us than just our 10%, mm. right? We give our whole life to God, and I think that's the point. And I think, sure, it might be easier for us priests to say that. Yes, I've given my whole life to God, but every person, right? Every person is called to give their whole life to God, and that includes our bank account as well. That includes our money. That includes everything. So, yeah, I think the challenge for someone paying off debt and someone doing, you know, having these kind of different bills and whatnot to pay, I think, again, it kind of goes back to first fruits of like, I give first to God and then, you know, I budget for it in a way that says, okay, maybe I can't give 10% right now, but can I give where it hurts a little bit? Maybe I can give 3% and eventually work my way up. There was a, a Protestant pastor, I, I don't know his name, I can't remember who it was, but um, when he became a Protestant pastor, him and his wife said, we're going to increase our tithe by 1% every year, no matter what happens. And so when he first started, it was at 1%, and now he's up to like, you know, 40% of his income that he gives mm -hmm. away, which is so cool. Like the trust that you have to have in God. I think that's what it comes back to. Like when we give generously, it increases our faith in a way to say like, God, I trust that you'll still provide for me. I trust that you will still uh, bless me in certain ways. And obviously not in the sense of the prosperity gospel that if I give money, God will give it back to me, increasing it. Uh, but in the sense of like blessing that I God will draw closer to me because I trust that whole continue to be with me because I have to take a risk. I take a risk that I will be okay if I give this 10%. I will be okay if I uh, give money to God, to the church, to charity, even though I still have, you know, a hundred grand in debt from uh, student loans or whatever. Here's, okay, three points, three thoughts mm -hmm. to help you as you are brainstorming this stuff and reflecting and you're going to write the next book on this stuff and everything. Um, two practicals. One is I like the line that co that companions use for our poverty and our purging that says, start with nothing and keep only what you need. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of that 80-20% of y you should you can see everything that you have as this gift to be used for good and um and then realize y you need less than you think you need mm. and we just have like we have tons of money and tons of stuff and the uh, the access to that is disproportionate to the the rest of the world gets by with a lot less um. and we can use that so start with nothing keep only what you need there's um, a, a kind of guideline that I had heard from Father Andrew, which is um, give 5% to your local parish and 5% to charities of your choice. That way it's not, I mean, you do want to support your local and parish. And 2% to the Archbishop's Catholic Appeal. And yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> you can include that as you know part of the thing. But try, try to be mindful of your local parish because it's, it's also easy to feel like, you know, I'm a philanthropist. Mm -hmm. And then finally, that, that th the question of the local parish is, well, one, people don't always realize that the lights need to stay on. And, you know, these things are not automatic. And right. that, that the money that you give doesn't go into the bank accounts of the 
you know, clergy or staff or well, I mean, everybody gets gets paid, but um, there's just yeah, there's expenses, but I think you can see it like much bigger. So I think at first I was kind of trying to think of an of analogs and analogies here. So one way you could see it is as taxes, and I don't know that that's super helpful. Mm. Although you could see it in a good way. Like, I, it transformed my paying taxes at one point yeah. when I started looking at what does this pay for. And then I realized, okay, this isn't just a check that I reluctantly write mm. every year or I don't like that it's taken from my paycheck. It's like I like to, pay, I like to educate kids and send them to school. I like to build the roads. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that there's police. I'm, you know, I'm happy that not everything is my thing. You know, the, I love the parks. I love... You know, I I don't want everything to be going to this machine of, you know, Washington, yeah. D.C. or something. But there's tons of good. And that, and I kind of like writing that check for taxes. Mm. Um, I wish I had more control over, you know, the use and the proportion, but alas. And so you could kind of like flip it from feeling like an obligation to what is really happening here and why am I happy about that. But I think more importantly is that we don't really value the church as we ought. We don't see it for what it's doing. That it is it is hugely important for the salvation of the world. And what it's doing is, is much more important than feeding me and my donuts and my sure. mass yeah. even, you know. And it's, it's really much, much bigger than even my local parish and everything. So supporting the church is doing an incredible thing for the world Mm. and much bigger than even ourselves. So it's something like if you could pay the sun to shine, and if if we didn't support that, then the sun would stop shining or shine dim, and it would, the, the world would suffer. You know, the leaves would suffer. There would be less verdure. There would, you know, there would be less animals. The crops would not thrive. We need, we need the sun so desperately. And um, it's true about the church, too, in, in the spiritual, invisible realm. The church is like the, the engine of life. It shines on the world and supports the life of all. And that's an analogy, obviously. That's not like a technical kind of... Uh, description of the church, but I do think tithe is kind of like that. Like you can just see, I don't know how this is going to be, but my giving, my giving my money, my supporting this local parish church, is in some way really fueling this the conversion and salvation of this area, and that's right. our responsibility. That's my responsibility to convert this this parish, this town, this neighborhood, and I can do that. And, and it's a powerful way. The prayers that we pray in this Mass are efficacious for the salvation of this, this neighborhood. But if you don't believe that, if you just see the church as like a service, a drive-up that can help you feel better, like mm-hmm. this therapeutic thing, then you're missing the, the real value of the church. And then you maybe resent the idea of, why would I give money to this place? You yeah. know, and people, yeah, do have a hard time. I remember this Black Keys song. Gold on the ceiling, they want to get my, you know, it's like a point of resentment. Mm. Like, look at this church is f- doing fine. Yeah. Like, there's got, they got shiny stuff. So, but that's not yeah. really the point. It's the, 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 
the power to transform that is coming from that so- that source, that power plant, if you right. will. Yeah, and the scriptures are always very clear that the, the, the poor that we need to help are those in our community. And so I think it's really powerful when, um, particularly as priests, like oftentimes we know who might be struggling a little bit more in our communities. And just to be able to say like, you know, here's a hundred bucks or here's however many uh, dollars, we recognize um, you're not going to like, uh, I know you don't have a job right now. You just lost your job or whatever it is. Like here's mm-hmm. some extra money that you can, you know, buy food for your table or pay your rent this much uh, this month. Uh, the the parish, the community, we're supposed to help those in our parish first and foremost, the poor in our area. Uh, but absolutely, yeah, the, the church needs the certain finances to run and pay and, and do different things like that uh, to help the poor, to help the community, to help uh, the people. But I think most importantly, when we give, it actually affects me mm-hmm. all the more, right? I don't give, God doesn't need my money, uh, God needs my heart. And part of giving my heart to God is also recognizing that when I give money, uh, my heart is actually better off. Uh, my relationship with Jesus is better off. So, yeah, this is great. Uh, I love praying with this. I love thinking about this the more that uh, I've kind of read through this. Um, I just want to close. Did you start to think like about your first fruits and your tabernacles and your, like, are you, did you try to practice that on a practical thing? Like, um, well, one of the images. To out when to do this or? So I, I've always tithed. I actually give more than 10% personally, but, mm-hmm. um, but as for like first fruits and giving to the, the poor specifically and like people, that's always been a little bit harder for me. It's easy for me to just set up my tithe on my, uh, credit card, just have it, you know, every month, you know, have a hundred bucks direct or have deposit direct stuff. deposit. Yeah. Have it taken out of my bank account or credit card. That's easy. But what's hard is like, okay, when I'm driving down Broadway or whatever, and I see that homeless person, can I actually roll down the window and talk to them and say, here's a dollar or here's a gift card to McDonald's or here's a breakfast bar, or a pair of gloves. That's where it's a little bit harder for me because no longer am I just hiding behind a computer screen with my bank account, right? I'm actually encountering the poor person in front of me. Uh, the reason why I want to podcast with you about this, Mike, is that upon boot camp, you gave that great reflection on simplicity of life and poverty mm. for us companions. And the image that really stuck with me, and maybe you can explain this uh, in a minute, um, but the image that stuck with me is the priest with no pockets. That as soon as I'm gifted money, I should be able, I should be excited to, to get rid of that money as quickly as possible. Right? The priest with no pockets. And I don't know. Do you want to elaborate on that at all? Well, I think the, the, my image for that is uh, Father Leone, who's um, did we, was he your pastor? When yeah, you were Cabrini. Yeah, yeah. He's a, just this great guy who um, is kind of famous for his generosity. Like he just trusts in the Lord, and then with everything that comes his way, he's doing good. And you can walk around the diocese, and you're going to hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, you know, he really helped me. He did." you know, took care of this or he would pay for the, he'd say, take your wife out to dinner, you know, right. and just give him a couple hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks or something. And he was just passing on these, these gifts. And, and I do think like, I just encourage you, like, try it, go to the, go to the grocery store and buy a handful of $20 gift cards and then just give them away. Don't be real calculated about it. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the first person you see, 
You don't have to like figure out, mm, was this one is this one more of a drug addict than the next one? <laughs> yeah. Just the act of going into the grocery store and dropping that cash and mm-hmm. saying, Man, I'm not I'm bound to this cash. I didn't come up with the first thing I, I you know think of is, well, I'd rather have this, this, this or that, but I'm gonna go spend this. It's just a joy. This is like the best thing that I could do. And God has privileged me with the the ability to just, yeah, give it away. Sometimes we get gifts. You know, companions have a rule that if you get sacramental gifts, you you give it away, either to the parish or to the poor. Right. And I try to encourage the guys, just do that as, as fast as you can, and your life will be privileged. It's like, what if you if you won the lottery, what would you do? Most people say, well, I would, you know, buy my favorite car, and then I would give right. it all away. And it's like, well, just start doing that you kind of have won the lottery with the kind of means that you have certainly as a priest i don't know i can't speak for everybody but i could say for most people to live without pockets is to live as a christian Mm. go take what you have give it to the poor and come follow me is you're going to have eternal life you're going to live better you're going to have a fuller life and that opportunity is waiting not not obligation not even invitation opportunity yeah. So see yours. I mean, go to the ATM now. Yeah. Yeah. And send it to Father Michael. Send it to the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> That's right. You got to pay for those lights. Um, okay. I just want to close with he gives seven core principles for biblical wealth and giving. Just to run through them real quick. I'm not going to really explain them too much, um, just because we're we're about to close out. But principle number one: everything we own actually belongs to God. Everything, right? Um, all is a gift. Number two, our wealth and possessions should be used for God's purposes, not just for our own purposes, but for God and building up of his, his kingdom. Number three, wealth is like a dynamite with great potential for both good and harm, right? And I think we recognize mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Worldly wealth, number four, worldly wealth is fleeting. Heavenly treasure is eternal, as you just hinted at. Uh, the last three have to do with giving. Number five, giving generously to the poor is a moral duty in a fallen world. So the 10% I don't think is a moral duty, but giving generously and giving to the poor is a moral duty. Number six, giving should be voluntary, generous, even sacrificial, cheerful, and needs-based. And the last one, my personal favorite, number seven. What was needs-based? Like try to assess where the biggest need is. I think so. But also uh, the sense of like, I give out of my uh, surplus and not just my need, but yeah, giving to uh, where's the needs in my community. Okay. Uh, again, going back to like, is there someone poor in your parish on your yeah. street and you're, who really and needs you're your paying help? Paying attention to the society and to particular people. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. And then the last one, my personal favorite, number seven, giving generously breaks the power of money over us. Mm. And I think that's why it's so important to give. Yeah, as you were mentioning, uh, giving to the church, keeping the lights on, but above all, it's it's because it affects our relationship with God and it makes us uh, so that we're not so focused on the things of this world. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, says the Lord. What's that song, that Pink Floyd song that has the cash registers? <laughs> Money, it's a gas. You don't know that I one? I don't know Pink Floyd, no. Blah. It's cool intro. You got to go look it up because it's, it's, it's kind of mocking that thing. It's like yeah. this thing owns us. This is the puppet master. You want to know what the puppet master is? It's this very strange <laughs> invisible yeah. number or 
Does your phone own you or do you own your phone? Yeah. You know? Well, cool, man. Tithe. Get there on you it. Go. It's, you've just given people a great gift. You know, you, you will enrich their life and give them the means of great works of mercy. Shout out. Can I? Go ahead. Well, to a generous lady who continues to be a loyal fan of the podcast and kind to me, Linda Gershevsky in Minnesota. She generously spent her time knitting me and the other hosts, once upon a time, prayer shawls. Oh, yeah. And encouraging our prayer and uh, offering a gift. Then um, try to support my getting a bike with brakes <laughs> at one point in my life. <laughs> and Those are pretty essential. I think she's a little bit obsessive with how... how like into the show she is but i just appreciate her generosity and it's a cool thing and then my yeah my my sister and brother-in-law maggie and alex and baki and their son thomas giorgio they are awesome people uh they are generous people they take care of people they're nurses and thomas giorgio is probably the cutest baby they're all the cutest that sounds biased yeah, right, right, right. But Pierre Giorgio, you love him, I love him. Thomas Aquinas, right. I don't, I don't know. He wasn't like necessarily. They hadn't picked a maybe which, Thomas. Which Moore. Thomas? Yeah, yeah, that's but fair. Well, I like to give two shout-outs awesome, as well. And I want to cross-country ski with Alex, and I've been looking forward to it. So I'm praying for the snow. Awesome. Well, I'd like to give two shout-outs as well. First, a classic Father Mike shout-out. I want to give a shout-out to the whole world. Yeah, there's so many people. On, there's so the many people who are like. It. There's so many people who are like, give me a shout-out, give me a shout-out. I'm just like, I can't. I need to write it down better. I need to be better about it. So, shout-out to the whole world. Shout-out to the whole entire world. Man, that feels good to say, actually. Here we go. Uh, the second shout-out specific would be uh, Tim and Amanda Crater. Uh, they're both from New Orleans. My mom is from New Orleans. And so hey, it's cool. just a nice little connection. That. So they, they had, uh, they made some shrimp gumbo and some, uh, what else have they made? Yeah. Mm, gumbo etouffee. and, uh, etouffee, shrimp etouffee or seafood etouffee and, uh, red beans and rice. I mean, they're just, Ooh, they're crushing it. Man, so I love, <clears throat> I love some good Cajun, Cajun food. Stuff. So shout out to them. Shout out to, um, Amanda's mom. I don't even know her first name, but everyone just calls her cookie. So shout out yeah, to cookie. Cool nickname. So she's a faithful listener now that I, uh, bribed her to listen to the podcast. So shout out to to you, Cookie. Thanks, Cookie. There's a cool like Catholic culture down there in, in Louisiana, right? Oh, it's I mean, it's, it's amazing. Old, I mean, it's the old town. Like when you would go grow up, they wouldn't ask like where are you from. They would say what parish do you belong yeah, to. Yeah, right. You know, so very strong Catholic. Are you? Roots. Do you consider yourself Cajun though? Because you come from Cajun roots. I would say so. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a mix. Like I want you, Conroy, Sean Patrick. Like, start talking like your natural. <laughs> My natural dialect. So my my grandpa he died back in January, God rest his soul. But his his first language was French Creole. Cool. That's what he grew up speaking, Um, and then eventually he learned English. Wow! Look at you. So I got some Cajun in me, but yeah, spicy. I subscribe more to the Irish because that's my namesake. Well, Sean Patrick. I'm sorry, but good for you. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Send us anything you'd like. Happy um, Saints and Souls. That's right. Celebrate come out right after. Saints are cool. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. God bless you all. Ciao.